when I finally got to a place through therapy where I was more comfortable talking openly about this, um, I discussed this with the pastor of the church that I was attending and was told some super hurtful things. And I was actually suicidal at the time when I visited with the man. Mm. And he told me, he said, some sins are worse than the sin of Judas. And this is one of them. And it would have been better had the person not been born. Wow. Yes. Wow. And so I just want to let that sink in for a second. If there's any pastor out there that is worth their salt in anything, um, this is what not to say when a trans or LGBT person comes knocking on your door and says, I'd like to talk to you about something. Friends, welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, and this is episode number 101, and it's part number two of our series called The Church Has Been Wrong About LGBTQ People, our series for Pride. And today we're talking to uh, my friend Jennifer Mayo. Now, I'm not going to tell you anything about Jennifer uh, in this intro piece. I'm going to just let you meet her on your own. Uh, in the episode. We connected together on Facebook, and I just had to get her on the show for this series, and uh, you will see why in just a few moments. Uh, But this is an emotional episode. There's a couple of uh, parts in this episode that really uh, will tug at your heartstrings in a good way, and that's all I'm going to say, because I don't want to say too much, but I really enjoyed this conversation. I'm really uh, excited for you to listen in on it as well and be part of it. And uh, yeah, so enjoy it. A couple things though, real quick. Uh, number one, first of all, how are you? Uh, I like to ask that once in a while, especially in these uh, these crazy times that we're in. Uh, we still have the pandemic going on. Uh, we had the the murder of George Floyd a couple of weeks ago, the protesting, the riots, all the things going on. So how are you? I know for myself, uh, it is a slew of emotions these days. Uh, I don't know. Some, some days I'm just really sad. Some days I'm really angry. Some days I'm like, is this a dream or a nightmare? Like what in the world is going on. And in the midst of that, I was talking to some other people uh, who do creative type stuff, make music, photography, podcasters. And there's this part of me that's very hesitant to even release new episodes during this time, just because I feel like it has the potential to distract from things that that really matter, um, such as what's going on in the world with um, racism and things like that. Part of me thinks, well, maybe I should just scrap this series altogether and do something 
in the moment uh, to address racism and things like that. Uh, so like all these crazy, all these thoughts going on in my head and other creative people have said the same kind of thing. Like, do I release new music now because I feel like it distracts from things that, are, that really matter? I had a really good conversation with a couple of people uh, the other day and we kind of came to this consensus that perhaps it's good to release new things in times like this. Not because like our things matter more than the issues in the world, but because the things that creative people release can almost act as a release for people who are really struggling in these times. And so I, I hope, I hope that this episode, I hope that that this series that we're doing for Pride, um, I, I really hope that it can create maybe a, a, a helpful distraction for you as a listener uh, to bring your mind into a a good space to maybe act as a refresher, maybe be something that inspires you, um, challenges you to go out and to make a difference in the world in regards to things going on uh, with racism, maybe things going on with LGBTQ people, whatever it might be. I hope it I hope it gives you the the strength and the courage to to get up, take your headphones off, get up and say, you know what, I'm gonna go do something. Uh, I'm gonna go do something with with my life, with my with my gifts, with my passions to go and make a difference in the world uh, and help people who are oppressed and help people who are put down and help people who can't always help themselves. They need help. They need people to come alongside of them and help them, whether it's the black community, the LGBTQ community, whatever, uh, whatever it might be. So again, I'm hesitant to release new stuff. But after that conversation with my friends, there's also part of me that realizes that this is a time where creative people maybe need to step up and uh, and release some goodness uh, out into into the world. So all that to say, I'm not going to talk about Patreon. I'm not going to talk about the Heretic Shop. Uh, I'm not going to talk about the Facebook community. All the links to those things are in the show notes. Uh, we're just going to roll this episode with Jennifer Mayo. And uh, I should say, too, that special music today... Uh, comes from my friend Will Rutherford, and he has one song that I really love, and I'm going to use that song uh, here in the transition into the episode and also at the end. Um, it's called Take Pride, and uh, I think that when you listen to the the song and then you listen to the interview with Jennifer Mayo, uh, I think you will see that the song is a perfect fit to highlight, to shine a spotlight on Jennifer's story. Uh, my friends, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for taking time to stop here to listen uh, to this episode. Thank you for being you. Thank you for your love, for your encouragement, for your support of the What If Project podcast. Um, I love you, and I hope that you have a wonderful, wonderful week. Hit me up on Twitter. Hit me up on Facebook. Find me. I'm a real person. I'm not a robot. I will respond to you. Uh, let's connect. And uh, let's go out this week and let's make a difference in the world. Much love to you. Enjoy the show.
Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, Today we're sitting down with my new friend, Jennifer Mayo, who is joining us to share her story and help us unpack some topics regarding LGBTQ inclusion. So uh, Jennifer, welcome to the podcast, my friend. It's wonderful to talk with you. Thank you, Glenn. I'm so delighted to be here and just look forward to to visiting and, and talking with you today. Thank you. So I first came across you on Facebook when one of the listeners of the podcast uh, sent me a message and said, like, dude, you got to go find Jennifer on Facebook, like right now and get her on your podcast because I want to hear more of her story. And so uh, here we are. And really what I wanted to do today is just kind of that. I wanted you to maybe share uh, your story with us because I've heard bits and pieces here and there, and uh, it's very unique. And I think that myself and uh, our listeners are going to learn a lot from you. So maybe start there, tell us your story and we'll see We'll see where the spirit leads us. Yeah, see where the spirit leads. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad you said that. There's such power in our stories. Yeah. Not just mine, but, but our collective stories and our stories individually. But um, I'll start. I'll just kind of spill the beans here. I am a transgender woman, and I'll put that out up front. And I'm very proud of that and accepting of myself uh, with that. But... Um, it has taken me a long time and a huge process to be able to say that with any integrity and honesty and get to that point. And so um, I guess because, you know, I, um, people may, I, I realize that when I interact with people out in public and stuff that oftentimes um, I'm really the first known transgender person that they have had contact with. Mm. Um, so um, I, I just want to kind of start at the beginning. And I grew up um, in South Louisiana in um, a time and place uh, when this was not really a thing. Hmm. You know? And my earliest memories, Glenn, of this is probably at, you know, first grade, six, seven years old, eight years old as a kid, I remember like, having a desire to look like my mom and my sister. Hmm. And when they weren't home, I would go in their closets and I would put on their clothes and I would just look at myself in a mirror. And I thought, you know, in the mind of a child, Oh, I look pretty just like my mom and Susie, Hmm. my sister. And of course, this was not a thing. I had no resources. I had nothing. Hmm. So I, I dare not tell anyone about these feelings that I really felt like a girl. Um, but I, you know, I had, I was raised as a boy and had the boy parts and I, I didn't know what to do with that, especially as a young child. Hmm. So, um, it kind of got worse when I when I hit puberty. Um, I felt this major, major incongruence mm. in my mind and body that, um, you know, it was like, I like the way 
girls look, but I want it to be like. And again, no resources at this time or really any vocabulary. I will date myself. I couldn't even get on Google to, to <laughs> Google the, the things that I was feeling, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and I just, I was at a total loss, Glenn. Hmm. And so this really started really in my teen years all the way into adulthood, a, a lifelong struggle with shame, and it really, it's counterpart of unhealthy ways of self-medicating myself, um, the guilt and shame, primarily through alcohol, overeating, mm. and things like that. So um, I, I'll just kind of fast forward through just the average boring stuff. You know, on the outside, I led a very normal life of, of a typical guy, you know? Um, I went to college, had a career, got married, um, and then I went into the ministry and um, was still hiding at that point. Um, and then at this point, uh, wearing my, uh, my then wife's clothes in secret uh, to self-medicate some of this thing we call dysphoria. And I just want to define that term, a few terms for you, if I could. Yeah, please do. Sure. For the listeners, uh, the technical term, and we're coming, learning so much more scientifically and medically about what's going on in the brain now is called gender dysphoria. That's the name for it. And it's when there is an incongruence in, um, a person's uh, sex in a part of their brain in their physical body. This is mm. called dysphoria. So I, I continue to struggle with that. And, and honestly, I, I do believe I was called to the ministry is, is how, however you want to envision a call. But I also think part of it was that deep down inside of me, Glenn, I felt that if I could preach against sin hard enough, save enough people, and be a good enough Christian, I could somehow free myself from these this internal struggle and these demons that I felt plagued me my entire life, mm. even as a child. So I enrolled in one of the most conservative seminaries in America, um, Dallas Theological Seminary. Graduated, graduated from there in a little over four years and pastored a church, planted a church, and um, really began to uh, deal with my own gender uh, probably about five years ago. And I, it got so bad. I will tell you how bad it got. I was having panic attacks all of the time. Mm -hmm. I mean sometimes several times a day. And I would like, almost got to where I couldn't leave the house. Mm. I would go walk into a big store with high ceilings like Home Depot or Walmart or something. And I would just literally feel like the world was caving in on me and I could hardly breathe. Mm. I, I would literally run out of a Home Depot. And of course, I, I went on medication, uh, they put me on clonopin for the panic attacks, which it works, but it almost works too well because it's a, a super addictive drug and you have to keep taking more and more. But mm. I will 
fast forward a little bit and tell you where things begin to sort of uh, come to a head and I begin to start dealing with this. Uh, I was not in pastoring at the time um, and I, I, it, it was just all, it was becoming too much for me to hide anymore. And one night I just, um, I just leveled with my wife and I told her, I said, I need, honey, I, I need to be honest with you about something that I've hid from you because I was so fearful, so utterly ashamed of myself. And it had gone against everything I believed in and everything that I had been taught and mm -hmm. every, you know, how I was raised. And of course, you tell your spouse something like that immediately. <laughs> the right. look of head comes over is like, oh crap. All the color goes out of her face. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry, I haven't had an affair, been unfaithful or anything, but they mm. think this is worse. And I just poured out my heart to her. And I told her everything. Mm. I told her about when I was a kid, about wearing my mom in my sister's clothes, not knowing what was going on in my mind, all the feelings in my body, and um, just my lifelong struggle with shame. And she looked at me, and she was such an angel. And, um, and she said, I'm glad you told me this. And, you know, I think people can intuitively, we, we can intuit so much. And she looked at me and said, I've always known. Mm. Wow. Wow. You've wow. always known. Okay. And um, so uh, in the beginning, things were, were okay. I, I, she did tell me, she gave me the best advice I've ever received in my life. And if there's any trans person uh, listening to this podcast, I will tell you to take this advice. She said, if you are going to deal with this seriously, and this has been an issue for you all of your life, you need to see a therapist. Mm. And yes, and you need to find someone you can talk to. And that person is not me. Yeah. And I said, you're absolutely right. Mm. And it was life-saving. So, you know, at that point in my life, when I had absolutely zero contacts in the LGBTQ community, mm. none. I wasn't friends with any trans person, didn't know a gay person, uh, still thought all of this was a big sin and, and everything. Mm. And so where do I turn? Google. <laughs> Google had been invented by this time. Right. So, <laughs> yes. So I Googled Nashville gender therapist and, you know, it's sort of a specialized field. So a few pop up and one caught my attention and she said she could help you reconcile your uh, faith and belief system with your sexuality or gender. And I said, mm -hmm. oh, wow, that sounds right up my alley. So I contacted her and um, I just started going to therapy. I did really nothing different for a year. I just went to intensive therapy once a week and poured out my soul to Leah. And um, <clears throat> she introduced me to other people uh, in my community. And um, 
I started, uh, that was one of the life-saving things for me. The, the second thing, when I finally got to a place through therapy where I was more comfortable talking openly about this, um, I discussed this with the pastor of the church that I was attending. Um, and was told some super hurtful things and I was actually suicidal at the time when I visited with the man mm. and he told me he said some sins are worse than the sin of Judas and this is one of them and it would have been better had the person not been born wow yes wow. and so I just want to let that sink in for a second if there's any pastor out there that is worth their salt in anything, um, this is what not to say when mm -hmm. a trans or LGBT person comes knocking on your door and says, I'd like to talk to you about something. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I think the only thing that saved me that day was that I had to go back to work after the appointment. And somehow I had to pull myself emotionally together um, to go to work. And I honestly think if I had free time after that, I, I may not be here. Mm. So um, after that, I uh, had a friend who was going to a wonderful church here that I didn't know about that would be the second life-changing event. Um, a church called Grace Point Church um, at that time pastored by a fabulous man and ally and advocate Stan Mitchell and um, so I went into Grace Point Church and it was uh, I'll tell you about my first Sunday at Grace Point I literally walked into the place and I had never been in an environment I, you know, I was a spiritual person on one side, but yet I had this thing on the other side, my gender identity, uh, that was sort of totally disconnected from any practice of spirituality. Mm. You know, they, they were not intersecting whatsoever. Yeah. Well, on that Sunday, and I wasn't totally emotionally prepared for it, those things would become very much intersecting and very much meeting each other. And I remember walking in Grace Point Church and I just felt this sense of peace and calm come over me. Mm. And um, what I would used to do uh, sometimes, and I, I hate to say this, but I would uh, basically Oh God, this is so hard. <laughs> mm. Oh, um, I would basically then take my clothes off and get a tube of red lipstick and write on my arms and write on my body words like freak, mm. words like sinner, words like unloved, ugly reprobate all the, the vocabulary and language that I had, had internalized and all of the shame that I had believed about myself and the church had taught me all of those years and I had taught other people as well. 
and I would stand in the in front of a mirror with all of those words written all over my body, and I would look at myself and just cry. So fast forward, I I I walk into Grace Point Church, and the worship team starts playing. Melissa starts leading a song, and the first song, "No Longer a Slave to Fear," and I'm. I'm getting goosebumps just talking about this. Me too. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Child of God. You know this song, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Everyone does. No longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Mm. And as we were singing that song, Glenn, I literally, I mean, you know, I don't know metaphorically or whatever. It was one of the most powerful spiritual experiences I've ever had. I literally felt chains falling off of me. And I just heard some internal something in my own spirit and soul. Say, Jennifer, do you remember those words you wrote on your body not long ago? And it was like, of course, how could I forget? All the words, the freak, the sinner, the reprobate, the ugly, the unloved. Yes, I remember all of them. And as the words of those songs just watered my heart and soul, I felt God tell me, guess what? None of those things are true. You are exactly what this song you're singing here says. Mm. So I knew from that point I was home. And um, so I just met some fabulous, just some of the best human beings I've ever, ever met Mm. in my life. And it's such a privilege being a part of an affirming spiritual community. It's a blessing that so many um, don't have that that reach out to me all the time. So, Mm. so, I, uh, let's see, (laughs) Um, I did eventually, after a year of therapy, uh, go to a doctor and began Mm. hormone therapy. And taking hormones, it it was like, uh, it was like all the depression, all of the anxiety uh, left me when I Mm. started hormones. It was like, I have not had, I was having panic attacks, as I said, daily. I have not, I've been on estrogen for about four years now, a little over four years, and I have not had one single panic attack. Wow. So people focus, Glenn, and I want to make this clear, and I've said it a hundred times, and I'll probably say it a hundred more times. The greatest changes that happen within a transgender person when they go on hormone therapy, um, either testosterone or estrogen, take place in the mind, in the soul, Mm. and in the heart, and in the spirit. They are unseen. Mm. Yes, there are changes in our bodies, and that's what everyone focuses on. But the greatest changes is that I feel whole. Mm. I feel like a human being. Mm. And I feel uh, like the person that I was born to be. And that's a beautiful thing. So, Well, Jennifer, first of all, I have, a, I have a whole list of questions, but first of all, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for uh, sharing your story and, you know, being that, that vulnerable with me and uh, with our listeners. Um, 
I was not expecting to hear any of that. And uh, you are such a brave person and uh, so courageous. And I can just tell just by listening to your story that it really is going to impact many, many people well beyond this podcast. But I think your, your presence in the world alone is going to be changing for so many people. So thank you. Thank you. Question for you. Um, you said that when you were six, seven, or eight years old, you started to have these, these feelings. Um, you said that you would put on your, uh, your mom's clothes and things like that. And you, you didn't tell anybody ever, like all the way up until your wife was the first person you told. Exactly. And wow. I, wow. It, I mean, I was 50 years old, Glenn, wow. and I had hid all of my life. Wow. And the physical toll, an emotional toll that a lifetime of hiding in secrecy, silence, and shame. I was dying. Yeah. I was, I, I was just, I, I either had to um, transition or die. And yeah. most of us get to that point. You know, I read all sorts of evangelical blogs, as I'm sure you do, you know. <laughs> Mm-hmm. They they talk about, you know, this is just a fad. Doctors are pushing hormones like candy on people. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever, if a trans person can testify to this, if you have ever been to a gender clinic, pushing hormones in, on people is the exact opposite of what mm-hmm. happens. There, there are lots of hoops medically to jump through to, to actually get on these things. So, mm-hmm. um it just, uh, yeah, so I, I just couldn't deal with it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, and again, part of my motivation, I, I don't think any of our motives are, are totally pure, uh, that part of my motivation for going into the ministry was to try to free myself from this. Yeah. And that didn't work. And mm. I couldn't preach it out of me, pray it out of me, read the Bible. Uh, you know, I, I couldn't do enough to get rid of this thing. Yeah. And I was either going to die or finally face it. And I do want to say that I, I mentioned my spouse. I try to say this every time in case she ever listens. That um, unfortunately, our, our marriage did end the, um, very painfully uh, for both of us. Um, I was just becoming not only physically, and and I will say this, that I knew the day my marriage was done was the day I left fundamentalism. Mm -hmm. Um, I honestly don't believe, and she may have a different view of this, I I don't know, but um, I honestly believe that uh, the day that I left that faith that we found such an identity in a sense of belonging, a sense of meaning, a sense of community that literally defined us and told us who we were. When I walked away from all that out of necessity and began deconstructing my own beliefs at Grace Point, um, I knew things were pretty much done with us. So, Wow. So for 40 some odd years, you, you keep this to yourself and the shame I imagine compounds as the years go by. Mm -hmm. And then you become a pastor. Like you said, you preach, you think you could preach it out of you, pray it out of you. 
I imagine that that made the shame even worse. Um, tell me what it was like when your wife, she's the first person you opened up to, what did her acceptance, what did her love, what did the grace that she showed you, what did that do to the shame that you had felt? It melted it away. Mm. And she was so sweet in the beginning. She was like an angel and she helped me. Mm. She encouraged me. She bought me clothes. I mean, she did wow. all kind of, to show me how to do makeup. Wow. Okay, yeah. But <laughs> is this became more of an identity. Yeah. And it was like, whoa, mm. you know, I love you, but I see you're becoming who you are. But in order for me to stay in this relationship, a romantic relationship with you, I'm going to have to become someone I'm not. And I didn't get that at the time. And I probably, well, not probably, I did not handle it in the best way. Mm. And um, so, uh, so yeah, so, so our marriage ended and uh, her and my son um, live in Texas now. And uh, I'm here in Tennessee. Now her, her response, she said, melts away that shame. So, so maybe talk for a minute to the people who are listening who uh, they are pastors or maybe they have somebody in their life who they know is transgender or maybe they don't know yet, but maybe somebody is going to be coming to them in the next week, month, year. How important is their initial response to that person? Well, I, it is obviously hugely important. And when a person comes to a pastor and, um, you know, you were in ministry, Glenn. Oftentimes, it's the point of last resort. Oh, no, I've got to go talk to the preacher. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> What's he going to say? Everything else. I've tried therapy. I've tried drinking it away. Right. Tried, you know, everything. Let's go talk to the pastor. So, <laughs> you know, as clergy, we assume, or we should assume, that when people are coming to us, they have exhausted everything. Hmm. And we are meeting a human being at their lowest moment who has tried everything, all the easy answers and the Bible verses and run out of hope. Mm. And they are coming to us and, you know, society puts us on a pedal, a pedestal and trying to literally grab a hole to the hem of the garment of Christ. Yeah and be healed yeah and that is a huge responsibility and a huge calling mm. and a mantle and weight that we should not take lightly is pastors and clergy yeah so i just want to speak to those who are pastors right now who are pastoring churches if you pastor a church and you're dead set against this and you've got all the seven verses in the bible that talk about lgbt issues memorized wonderful um there's probably not a whole lot that i'm going to do i've never seen a human being argued into becoming affirming yep oftentimes glenn the heart has to break before the mind will change that's right and i can't break a pastor's heart for him yep God has to do that, and it has to be between him 
in the Lord. So I just, I, I'm not really addressing those types of people. They may not be listening to this podcast anyway, but. Probably I, not. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> but I would like to address maybe some of those pastors and clergy that are on the fence. Hmm that are that have changed their theology that have been through some sort of deconstruction themselves that uh have interacted with trans or uh uh or gay people it may be in their congregation or have come for counseling or whatever and you've studied up on it you you've kind of moved in your belief system and you've kind of come to a standstill and you look back behind you and say well i can't really go back to that because my beliefs have changed i don't believe this to sin i do believe uh, gender identity is is a real deal that these people aren't making it up um that there is something to this and that same-sex love is not a sin um but yet i look in front of me and i see an entire church that has been taught by me for years that this is a sin, that God's word is very clear on this, and that we need to be consistent and stand with the Bible. Mm. So I think that's many, many, many people. And so I just wanna address those pastors that are teetering on the fence, mm. that have one foot and maybe one looking behind them saying, no, I can't go back there, but I don't quite have the courage. I don't quite know what to do to move forward in this without getting fired, destroying my church, having every single person in this place run me off. And it, that is oftentimes what happens. I just want to remind you of something and ask you a question. When you were ordained, when they laid hands on you, however it was for you, the bishop, the elders of the church, the a board or whatever, you were commissioned. You received a mantle, a spiritual ordination to follow a crucified Christ. Yeah. And you're, true call as a pastor is not to build a big church a successful church a church that's you know everyone's talking about oh yeah this is the happening place we've mm -hmm. got to write a book or whatever mm -hmm. your charge you were ordained into the ministry of a crucified man a crucified god and I think we've forgotten this in America because we've been so successful that if we're gonna be ordained into the ministry of a crucified God, we have to be willing to be crucified too. Mm. You know, and, and I don't wanna start preaching here, but maybe I am a little bit, but- It's fine, <laughs> let it come. <laughs> let it go. <laughs> let it go. <laughs> well, I, I just, I just, <laughs> want to summon and encourage you and if i could hug every conservative evangelical pastor right now who is teetering on the fence wondering what am i going to do i would and say please do it yeah and i'm not going to sugarcoat it it may cost you everything it may cost you your job 
but there are people like me, there are kids in your church, in your youth group, that you will, that whose very lives you will save. Mm. And in saving their lives, you will gain yours. Yeah. And oh, you will gain so, so, so much more than you have lost. So good. I love that you said that, you know, you can't, you can't argue somebody into changing their thoughts. It has to be something they experience by being almost broken mm-hmm. um, by God. And I, I think of myself, like my own journey, I said that I had pastored a church and I grew up in the conservative evangelical world. I went to Bible college. I went to seminary, did all the things. I knew all the six verses I had to memorize. And for me, for the longest time, it was, well, this is what the Bible says, and that's the end of it. Uh, that's moving on to the next, the next topic. You know, it's very black and white for me. And when I left the church, I got this job at Apple, and I've been working for Apple for 10 years. And I began to become friends with people who, who are gay, who come from various different backgrounds. And I started to do something in my spirit. I didn't really know what to do with it because I met these people and I I lived in my Christian bubble for the longest time. And like you said, I had no friends who were gay, no friends who were transgender, didn't know anybody in that world. And all of a sudden I become to know these people and hear their stories. And I see that they're very kind people. Many, much of them, many of them much nicer than a lot of the church people I knew. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, you know, like, Something doesn't line up with what I've been taught to believe all of my life. And that began to, I guess, deconstruct some things in my mind. And then I had a person at one of the stores I worked at who came out as transgender. And all of a sudden, now I had this transgender friend in my life who, again, someone who I had grown close to, who I knew, who was a very good friend of mine. I began to learn uh, their story and more things started to come apart in my head. And then I got to this point where I was like, I, I can't keep this inside anymore. Like I have to be vocal. Uh, I have to be vocal in my support uh, for these people. But I didn't really know how to do it because I was still had all those verses in my head that I didn't know what to do with because I hadn't really looked into them all that much. And I guess what I'm trying to say is that my heart began to change long before my mind did. And my mind slowly began to catch up as I started to have more conversations like the one that we're having now, as I started to have different resources recommended to me for me to read, and I'm still at a point where I don't know what to do with all of these things, but my heart has just gone miles and miles and miles and miles ahead of where it used to be. And my brain, I'm just kind of dragging it along and it's catching, it's catching up. But I think you make a very valid, valid point that sometimes, you know, we can't argue somebody's mind into a different perspective sometimes we need to really pray that they have an experience, they have an encounter that breaks them and then they will move on from there. So I think that's a really, really valuable point. Yes. So uh, what I wanted to ask you, one of the questions I want to ask you is um, as a transgender person, like what, what unique perspective do you feel that you, you bring to God? And I ask that because, you know, we know that feminist theology, women bring unique perspective. We know that people of different cultures bring unique perspective, children, but like, what would you say that you as a transgender person, like what unique perspective do you have about God that like I myself as a straight white male might completely miss? Oh, great question. Um, you know, I don't know if it's so unique, but since I transitioned, it has been 
uh, sort of more in the forefront of my mind mm -hmm. and sort of solidified in my theology. And um, one of my, uh, you know, I'm a history nerd and mm -hmm. I love old things, antiques. And sort of when I was in seminary, um, my concentration of study, I, I studied patristics, the, the, the study of the uh, ancient church. And um, uh, loved the church fathers and, and, and loved iconography and, and things like that and just old things. And, um, you know, I, I got to thinking that uh, our journey, uh, our transgender journey of, of transition and all the, the, the struggles that we go through and everything that we do to become ourselves, both emotionally and physically, we are icons of a transformation process that God has available to all of us, mm. whether we are straight, gay, you know, whatever mm. we are, um, that uh, really our experience is, is an icon, an image of transfiguration and the transformation that the divine wants to accomplish in all of us. Mm. Um, so that has really hit me. Um, an, another thing that's, that's really, really um, uh, kind of been super, become super important in my theology as of late is, you know, we as evangelicals, uh, you know, the cross is everything. Atonement theology is, <laughs> is and I will get going. Well, I, I will have to come talk to you another time about this subject, but I would love I, to hear your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, the, the cross and, you know, everything that happened on Good Friday is the thing. Hmm. And uh, the resurrection is almost sort of a side thing and the incarnation as well. You know, Jesus was born in order to die, lived in order to die. Everything was reaching up to God judging Christ for our sins. Yeah. Um, but when you go back in history and study the, the writings of the church fathers and things like that, um, it wasn't always that way. Christianity yeah. at its core, at its foundation, is a faith based on incarnation. Mm. Incarnational truth. That for the early church was the core truth. Yes, the cross is important, but the incarnation, humanity and divinity coming mm. together. And it was so important, as you know, we spent our first 500 years fighting and anathematizing each other over exactly how this could possibly be. Mm. and coming up with various doctrines about it. And I don't think those things are important, but, but I have become much more incarnational in my faith. And by that, I mean this. I'm not so much looking for a Christ or a God up there as I am wanting to daily and experience a God down here incarnate and manifest in those around me, mm. in you, in my neighbor, in the least of these, in my transgender LGBTQ brothers and sisters, and people of color, and immigrants, that Jesus said, 
I'll tell you how it's going to be on the last day. Hmm. It won't be well prayed, well believed, well preached, well spoken. It will be well done. Yeah. What you have done to the least of these, you have done to me. Yeah. And that's incarnational theology 101 at its core. Hmm. That somehow our view of God, the divine, has got to be translated from an old white man on a throne that we're worshiping to something we see lived out and incarnate within the people around us. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, I think so often, especially in in the, the evangelical world, we become so fixated on on what we believe and our theology and having the right answers and the doctrines and all those different things, which, you know, I suppose there's a time and a place for it, but I think we, we lose so much of the, the skin you know, that, that God literally put on in Christ. And I think that we often forget that we are his, his hands and feet. And I think that's one of the kind of the goals of this podcast, you know, the what if project is, you know, what if, some of the things that we've been handed, you know, in our traditions just don't really hit the nail quite on the head. And what if there's a different way to look at these things and a different way to understand them and live them out in the world. So I love that that part of your story kind of shines a, a spotlight on that. Well, Jennifer, we are uh, nearing the end of, of our time. Um, I could talk to you all day, but I think like <laughs> you said, I'm going to have to have you back on and ask you yeah, some more, some more questions. Yeah other topics it would be fabulous thank that you. would be fantastic because yeah, I, I read your facebook posts and uh you are a firecracker on there <laughs> sometimes uh, you yeah, know and, i like it <laughs> you. Uh, and i will say if folks do want to reach out to me i'm not you know i don't have a huge social media presence i'm not on twitter i don't really have a blog i just basically post things on facebook that come to me and i've been having more things come to me since I've been locked up for two months. Yeah, right. <laughs> Alone with our thoughts, more right? Exactly. <laughs> more time to think. Yeah. Uh, just please message me, reach out to me in any way. If there's any trans person out there that's struggling or, or anyone for any reason, uh, I know this is a lonely time for everyone and just super rough for us all. Uh, please reach out to me. And I just want to be there for anyone struggling, deconstructing their faith. Uh, you are not alone. And there is a, a whole community and what the scriptures call a, a cloud of witnesses to yep. surround you. And, and so please do. Amen. I will put the link to your Facebook profile uh, in the show notes so people can go and find you. Absolutely. Awesome. And we will do this again soon. And you have a wonderful day and stay safe. Okay, you too, Glenn. Thank you, Jennifer. When you've been cast out when you are filled with doubt, there is hope as pain that carries the weight of shame. There's a place.
down 